Welcome to Culture Matters, a podcast that explores the intersection of faith and culture. I'm Adam Griffin, and unfortunately, Elizabeth and David and Adam, none of them are able to join me today. But the good news is, I am joined by my good friend, my my favorite high churcher, Mr. Jay Wright, the Anglican. Jay, how you doing today, buddy? <laughs> I'm great, Adam. How are you? <laughs> I'm so, I, honestly, I'm pumped. I'm pumped to have you on here. I'm excited for our conversation. And uh, Jay, when, when I was getting ready to plant a church over here on the same side of town that you work on, people told me, you need to meet Jay Wright. And once you do, you will want to not plant your church and go to his. And... Uh, <laughs> They were right, man. I, I love Jay Wright. Jay, uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Tell us about your family and your church, where you work and what you do? Yeah. So I am the rector, which is, just means I'm the senior pastor of St. Bart's Anglican Church here in East Dallas. Uh, married to Amy for almost 19 years, actually mm-hmm. 19 years this month. Have four kids ranging in ages from 17 to nine. And uh, we planted about five years ago. And have just been plugging away. Love our spot. I love that we're in the city, but also feel like we're um, sort of in a, a retreat away from the city. And have loved the community and the culture that God has uh, planted and cultivated and, and brought to fruition at St. Bart's. So I love that. Do you ever call it? It's St. Bartholomew's officially, right? Yeah, that's that's the official name. That's just a lot of words. <laughs> A lot of syllables. So a lot of you... syllables. There you go. A lot of vowels. No, I mean, yeah. So St. Bartholomew, he was one of the one of the 12 apostles, obviously. Uh, he was from Cana of Galilee, martyred uh, later in life after he took the gospel eastward to India and then was was eventually killed in Armenia. Um, so he's our he's our patron saint. Uh, he's sort of our spiritual father. Uh, but yeah, we just say St. Bart's for short. It's much, it's much more catchy. <laughs> Much more catchy, and it sounds fancy. I'm going to St. Bart's, I think that sounds. Yeah, awesome. you know, there's there's the island, so we get a little <laughs> bit of that that Google uh, gleaning, if you will. <laughs> That's great. A lot Click- of island traffic. St. Bart's was clickbait, and so once they see that, they're like, you know what? I was thinking about going vacation, but I'm just going to go to Anglican Church on the east side of Dallas. That usually we see those correlated islands <laughs> and Anglican, and it just <laughs> works together. Well, today we're talking about the season of Advent, and we're having you on because honestly, a lot of our listeners, I don't know where they're at theologically or denominationally, but they're kind of a, across the board a little bit. I grew up Lutheran, and now I pastor a Baptist church, and so I have my own ideas of, of what Advent is, but I wanted to see who is my... Who do I trust the most to talk about what Advent would look like in more of a high church model than maybe a lot of what our listeners are used to and talk about what we uh, what is missed if you're at a church who doesn't practice that maybe and what's beautiful about it, but also what can be redeemed in that. And so I want to talk about Advent, but just to get us kicked off, what is, what is the season of Advent? Kind of give us an idea of your understanding. What is Advent? Yeah, so Advent is is really a preparation for the celebration of the nativity of Jesus Christ. So the incarnation of the second person of the Trinity, the only begotten, uncreated Son of God. He is, according to the Nicene Creed, according to the Holy Scriptures, he is born of the Virgin Mary and the Holy Spirit. And so we celebrate that on what day? 
December. 20th. I believe that's Christmas. Yes, that's right, Adam. <laughs> For ten points. So Advent came into the life of the church. It's probably one of the newest parts of the church calendar, meaning it's only been around probably a thousand-ish years, even though people have always done something to prepare to celebrate what you and I call Christmas. Uh, in, in in terms of their Christian discipline and whatnot. Sure. So it came about as a way, it kind of as a miniature fast. It's a penitential season, meaning we remember uh, that we're broken, sinful human beings living in a broken, sinful world. And so some of our main characters of Advent from the scripture readings, so if you're in a setting like mine, we have different scripture readings from Old and New Testament. And some of our main characters are John the Baptist, and so his message isn't necessarily a, a real hospitable, <laughs> don't forget to go to Michael's for all of your decorating needs. It's a, <laughs> hey, the ax is at the root of the trees. Who told you to repent, you brood of vipers? Brood of vipers that sort of thing. Yeah. So, yeah, so we, we, we sort of shine a light on our brokenness. And, um, yeah, so that's kind of the, the big idea is that it's, we're doing that in order to prepare for Christmas. Oh, excellent. That's a really great and well-rounded idea with some great church words in there. I love that. A penit- Did you say it's penitentiary season? No, not penitentiary. <laughs> penitential. <laughs> Good. But, excellent. But, but say, you know, same root of the word. Yeah, I love it. Uh, so the history of Advent, you said about the last thousand years. Has Advent, for you, like when you remember Advent growing up to now you get to lead it, uh, and maybe even generations past. What, how have you seen, is there a difference in the way we're practicing Advent now that maybe a thousand years ago? Or does it seem like, no, this has kind of been the tradition. We, we're all thinking about uh, a Christmas holiday. and Yeah, I don't know. You know, so for me personally, I didn't grow up in, tr- in a church. Um, and when I did come to faith, I w- ended up in a, in a church much like yours and loved it. And for me, there was so much mystery around Christmas and the incarnation and what is this really? And so as I was working as a worship pastor and then a pastor, you know, in different sorts of church traditions, I really was longing for something to, to, to lead me into Christmas. So, um, so for me, there wasn't really a, there wasn't a way that I could look to as, well, this is the, this is the ideal, or this is what I'm, this is what I'm trying to do. I, but I did begin to read church history and kind of discover different things. Um, right now, the way we do it, and a lot of people do it is they, they'll use an Advent wreath, which is a, a wreath is a common thing, um, you know, in Christmas time, you know, the month of December. Yeah. So we use a wreath with four candles um, that's, that's probably the most innovative thing. I, I, if my memory serves, that's like around 12 or 1300 that that really started happening. And that was in like Northern Europe, like Germany, France. Um, so if, for instance, in the Eastern church, they don't have a season called Advent. They have what's called the nativity fast and it's a six weeks fast leading into Christmas. Is it with the same purpose with the idea of like reflecting on brokenness and waiting? Yeah, yeah. Expectation. Um, I'm not as familiar with the with the theological ideas behind that, but but one of the principles I can imagine is that the incarnation is such a great mystery, and God is so incomprehensible. This this is from an Eastern perspective. Yeah. He is so incomprehensible, yet he he lovingly chooses to make himself known. And so for us, it's a way to sort of clean house and to to see the ways where we've substituted any number of things 
in his place, you know, all the, all the tiny idols that have built up over the year. And especially to me as an American in our culture that really is so focused on consumerism. If you think about our economy and, and all these things, Advent is a wonderful prophetic voice against the uh, consumer mentality of, of what Christmas has become in America in particular. Yeah. Can you speak a little bit to that? How do you see them as opposites or maybe not opposites, but as opposing ideas of what we are celebrating in Advent and what the culture is doing as they're getting ready for Christmas? Because I would think, honestly, I think the, the kind of modern Christian idea of Advent is to just couple it with what the culture is doing, which is Advent is about, I can't wait to open my presents. And Advent is about, you know, I, I'm going to get something and it's it's hard to wait that long to see what it is. But you're saying Advent is a little bit more like maybe people would understand Lent of reflecting on the fact that we have a need, a desperate need, and that need needs to be met. Not that just we're going to get something that we want, but that there's a need. So how is Advent the way that maybe Christians historically practice it different than way the modern culture is thinking in December? Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's a, that's a great question. So, you know, for instance, um, Advent, one of the the themes of it at at the first few weeks of Advent is all about the second coming or the second Advent of Christ. Advent, of course, meaning his coming. So this last Sunday at St. Bart's, we all we talked about was how do we make ourselves ready for the second coming of Christ? How do we stay watchful? How do we, as the, the prayer that we pray the first Sunday of Advent every year says, cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light now in this mortal life in which Jesus Christ came to visit us in great humility so that when he comes again in his glorious majesty, we may rise to the life immortal. So really it's about it's about putting off the darkness of the world. And if you think about it, in this season, the days are getting shorter and shorter and the darkness is growing and growing. And it reminds us kind of, in a sense, a picture of the world, of the growing darkness around us. And so as we do that, we light these candles, you know, each week on the wreath and the light grows, the light of Christ grows in order that we can participate in and celebrate the light of Christ birthed into the world. So that's the idea of the church. In the culture, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of wonderful things happening. I mean, there are a lot of gifts, truly. You know, besides yeah. the gifts that you and I want, there are just <laughs> just a lot of gifts that the, you know. There are parties and people get together. You know, when it's a non-pandemic year, uh, it, it, there are ways for people to celebrate and people are giving. I love that. You know, all over the country and in, in large cities, you see charities and foundations and organizations pushing to get people to give out of their generosity. And so that, that's a Christian virtue. That's a value that Christ taught us. Um, so that's a good thing. Yet we can often let the season focus in on us and about what we want and what we desire when really there's a much greater good out there that God is giving us through himself, through his church, through his people. When I think about Lent and Easter. I think about Lent almost being kind of this uh, uh, grieving over our sin and, and removal of what we typically look to for comfort that leads to Good Friday. That's kind of this this ultimate man's kind of sorrow over the weight and seriousness of sin. But then Easter almost feels like uh, not a disconnect, but a, a, a shift a shift of focus from Lent to like it, it. Lent helps you understand Easter. Do you think the same way Advent and Christmas are Christmas is Christmas kind of a little different sense in your understanding 
of Advent where it's like now now we redirect to the to full light or are they more connected than I'm maybe painting the picture of is is Christmas just the last day of Advent or is Christmas oh, a, no, no, no. a different take from Advent what is yeah, the, no, what's no, the it's connection? a different take so if you think of it this way think of the Christian year so you know basically from Advent to Pentecost, which is 50 days after Easter. Think of it as in two cycles. The first cycle is the cycle of light. That would be Advent, Christmas, and Epiphany. And the second cycle is the cycle of life. So Lent, Easter, Pentecost. So in the cycle of light, you have these four weeks of Advent, and then you have Christmas. And Christmas is not just a day, but it's a season. Can you guess how many days the season of Christmas? It goes with a popular song, Adam, that you and I sing together every year. Is it the uh, 12 days of Christmas? That's right. There are 12 days in Christmas. <laughs> yes. Nailed it. Isn't there a partridge involved? See, there's a partridge, you know, <laughs> there you go. So, and, and that song, for instance, is a great example of a song that European families use to teach their children these, uh, these symbols of the faith. Okay. Uh, we won't get into that. So Christmas is a 12-day season. It's just not the end of Advent. It's the beginning of a new season where we contemplate. We think about John's prologue, John chapter one. Think about those 18 verses and how beautiful and mysterious and how you and I, by God's grace, could spend our lives contemplating, meditating upon, turning over in our minds and our hearts those words that in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. And later on, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So the 12 days of Christmas are our opportunity to take those words into our hearts and to look at like, you know, Galatians three and four, when St. Paul writes about it, just the right time, born of a woman, born under the law, Christ came for us. And, you know, Titus two and all these other beautiful images that speak to the incarnation, but so often you know, we just, oh, you know, we fly by him because we are, we are very focused on atonement, aren't we? We are very focused on a particular view of atonement, this substitutionary atonement that we see so explicit on Good Friday and that we celebrate uh, the release from death of on Easter. Yeah. And yet without the incarnation, without the virgin birth, without these lowly shepherds and these foreign magi, these Gentiles, without... Um, you know, God's great glory coming in obscure humility in a cave, in a hill in Judea, we wouldn't have the salvation that God has brought to us. So that's what Christmas is all about. And that's why Advent is so important because it leads us into that 12-day season. Excellent. So Advent is more than just waiting for the next season. It is a season that needs to be understood, uh, stand on its own, and leads us toward Christmas, at least historically, traditionally. And yet I find that most churches now, when they think about Advent and they're starting Advent, they think about how do we help people get ready for Christmas in the sense of Christmas is the real season that we're we're looking forward to. But if you miss what's important about Advent, then then kind of steal some of the glow of the... Like if you don't if you don't understand the darkness of Advent that you're talking about, then maybe you miss on the brightness of Christmas. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, think of it this way. If you don't fast, then what good is the feast? That's good. And so do you do you practice fasting at all during Advent? Is there any kind of, you know, traditionally in Lent, I think it's more broadly understood that people will fast or give up things. What does it look like for, for the Wright family or for St. Bart's? 
<laughs> well, I haven't, um, I haven't invited the church into fasting as a discipline in the season of Advent. Um, and in fact, we, we've just moved houses, as you well know. Uh-huh. And so I'm, I'm off on my personal rhythms, but that, that is an aspiration of mine is to participate in a more, um, well-ordered fast. And, and what that looks like could be just something like not eating meat, you know, only having fish, if you're going to have, you know, a, sort, a certain kind of meat, you know, so no meat, poultry or dairy, or on Wednesdays and Fridays, I have what we call a strict fast. So no alcohol, no meat, no dairy, no poultry, nothing, you know, just kind of lentils and, and bread and water and, you know, vegetables and things like that. So that is certainly a way uh, to bring our bodies into a, um, a new relationship with themselves and with God. And we remind ourselves that, that we're not in control. Yeah. And it, yeah, fa- fasting is fascinating. And that's something that I want to be more, much more intentional about in the yeah. coming years. And it's a little interesting to think about, you know, we have a, a, an American tradition to feast on Thanksgiving and then we have an American tradition to feast on Christmas but I feel like we kind of make, we bridge those two holidays with the season of Advent. And culturally, we would just think it's all celebration. It's all it's all feast days. Yeah. It's all cookies. People will talk about getting back to the gym in January because we've gained so much weight. Because America hasn't fasted between Thanksgiving and Christmas. We've feasted every day. But like you mm-hmm. said, if you don't fast, you don't feel the hunger. And if you don't, and it, it's not a mandatory, this is not a scriptural mandate or something. But what but we're talking about is you're saying Advent helps you appreciate more what happens on Christmas, what we celebrate on Christmas. If you understand what we're, de- if you deprive yourself of, of something, it's a way of communicating and, and reminding yourself of what you have received in the incarnation. Advent being dark, Christmas being light, Advent being maybe fasting, Christmas being feasting. Let me ask you this, because I think some, especially parents may want to know this. What does it look like in your tradition when you think about Advent, which now has become, for some Americans, the elf on the shelf season, and then Christmas is <laughs> it's, uh, Advent. Uh, it's always then, there. Yes, and then Christmas becomes Santa Claus. Uh, what uh-huh. If somebody came to you, and you're, you're a rector, you're a pastor, if somebody came to you from your congregation and just said, hey, could you just give me some wisdom and advice on, is this a distraction from what we're trying to accomplish, or is this just innocent fun, or what advice would you give? And I'm not, I don't want to hold your feet to the fire and say, speak on behalf of all Christians or all Anglicans or all pastors, but what would Jay Wright advise somebody who's trying to navigate Santa, Elf on the Shelf, Advent, and Christmas? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think we have to be open-handed. We don't want to create more rules or more laws. You know, when Christ taught in the Sermon on the Mount and when he said, when you fast, and when you pray, and when you give, and all these things. So it's it's expected that we do these things, but we do them often in secret, Jesus said. So I don't think that means we carte blanche, you know, take Santa out to the ditch and, you know, do away with him or, or even that. That uh, ubiquitous elf always showing up, leering over the corner of the shelf. But I think what it does mean is that we we find ways to mark the time. So we started a few years ago um, doing a thing called a Jesse tree, which did uh, uh, actually some friends at an old church in Florida that we used to work at. They gave this to us and we loved it so much. And it became such a part of our, our lives and our children's lives that we had a party a few years ago and we just made a bunch of Jesse trees for people to have for their own homes and then to give away to friends. And basically the Jesse tree 
just it walks through the Old Testament every day with a reading, and it's this old-fashioned flannel graph tree that's it's on the wall in our back den. And um, you know, every day we read a scripture, and we put up the little flannel graph, and we sing, you know, rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel has come to thee, O Israel. Um, and so for us, it's a way to anticipate and be ready for Christmas. But it doesn't mean that we don't go to Christmas parties. I mean, we're going to have our our staff and vestry Christmas party right here at our house in a few weeks. So we'll still do things that are festive. It doesn't mean that we're, you know, shunning the world. It just means that we're trying to reframe a little bit and so that we can remember what the, what the depth and the meaning behind the season. is. So you're not trying to shame people and say, you need to feel worse oh, guys. Goodness, no. You're not going to feel okay about Christmas unless you feel a lot worse than you do right now. But <laughs> let me, let me, uh, speaking of feeling bad. So 2020 has been a year of pandemics politics, prejudice. I mean, it has been a difficult year for a lot of people, especially, uh, I mean, in a more global sense than maybe years past, or at least in recent history. So how important is the season of Advent and understanding what you're teaching right now in a year like 2020? And maybe help us make a connection. Is there any particular connection that Advent really resonates well with a year like 2020? Yeah. So one of the I think it's in first Peter three when Peter talks about, or maybe second Peter, where he talks about the new heavens, and the new earth that are coming, the, the new creation that's coming is one in which righteousness will dwell. And Advent being a focus on an expectation for that second coming of Christ. It, it's a season where we hold up the ache of life. So just the ache of the brokenness of, I mean, w- without, the three P's of 2020 pandemic politics and prejudice. We just, we have enough stuff to deal with already. Yeah. We have enough to lament over. We have enough reason to take those lament Psalms on our own lips and just cry out to God with them. But now in 2020, I mean, it is palpable. Yeah. It's existential. We're all experiencing that. And so for me, and one thing we mentioned, we always have testimonies in the month of Advent. And so um, we'll have, you know, one interview a week, every week. And, and that's one of the questions I ask our, our interviewee is, what do you what do you have to share with the people of St. Bart's about the ache of life? Mm. And so the hope is, is that that when Christ comes again, and he'll set all things right. So mm. every injustice, whether it's personal, collective, or global, every trauma, every wounding, everything will be made right. And that's the kingdom that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob looked for, and Moses, and all those saints that are listed in Hebrews 11. And so we want to cultivate that mindset of hope, yet still in the midst of the darkness, and the ache, and the longing. So to me, that's Advent is a prime season. We need Advent more than we realize, especially in 2020. Man, that's so good. Uh, And I think you're exactly right. And it's a reminder of the brokenness of the world around us, both points to our corporate and institutional and creation-wide brokenness, and also can remind us of what uh, individual and what uh, what weight my sin bears. Uh, we always talk about at Eastside that uh, maybe this would be a good way of saying it. Christmas reminds us of the greatness of God's grace. But God's grace is great because of the seriousness of sin. And so Advent is a season to think about how seriously broken 
this world is and how it cannot fix itself and how it is in desperate need of fixing. And what a miraculous wonder that the Lord would intervene on our behalf and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to enter in. I'm going to send my son incarnate among you, like you said, born of a virgin, the Holy Spirit, incarnate. And on Christmas, worth celebrating, absolutely. Uh, but you know that Christmas has become kind of a, and, and maybe this year, if people aren't able to gather, like maybe the way they weren't on Thanksgiving, it'll be tainted a little bit. But Christmas tends to be something that our culture escapes to, right? I'm going to escape from work and escape. and But we're not talking about an, an escape like, hey, just ignore sin, in Christmas, we're talking about how the Lord actually dealt with sin. We're not talking, I mean, the difference would maybe be, and maybe this is too strong a metaphor, but if Advent is thinking about the mess made, Christmas is not a way of saying, we'll clean up the mess tomorrow and let's celebrate and ignore it. Christmas is a way of saying, hey, the, not only is the mess getting cleaned up, it's getting cleaned up by somebody else, and the source of the mess is being handled, and one day, one day Christ will return and there will be no more messes. And so it's us looking at the culture and not finding a way to escape how hard 2020 has been by just give, by spending money and giving each other things, but celebrating the actual solution to all the problems we have. Uh, let me ask you uh, kind of one of the final questions I want to ask you, Jay, and thank you so much for your time today. But if you were getting to speak to a broadly evangelical audience, which our, our podcast is, it's a, a lot of people from different backgrounds. And for those who maybe have not historically practiced Advent, and they heard some simple ways to enter into that, but what kind of general wisdom, pastoral advice would you give to people who are going, man, I, it really sounds like Advent would be a season that would be helpful for me to process, to meditate. What first steps, what resources would you send those kind of people to? Hmm. Man, that is a great question, of which I wish I had an answer better prepared. Um, <laughs> you know... I, for me, what makes it so meaningful for me are is Holy Scripture, and the way that Scripture, in its grand narrative and sweep, narrates you know the lostness and brokenness of Israel as a type of the lostness and brokenness of mankind, and how Christ enters in to redeem us, how John the Baptist prepares the way, how Isaiah calls forth that comfort is coming, comfort, comfort, my people. You know, so all of these miraculous things are happening. Messiah is coming. This this young teenage virgin in Palestine, this Mary betrothed to Joseph. Um, I Here's what I would say. I would look to those characters, Isaiah, the prophet, John, the Baptist, and Mary. Look to those three characters as, and look at their lives. Look at how they're talked about in Holy Scripture. Look at Isaiah's proclamation of comfort and joy. I mean, in Christmas and Advent are Isaiah seasons. I mean, we read from him, chapter 2, chapter 9, chapter 11, chapter 40. You know, blah, 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 blah. You go on and on and on. So read those. Look at John the Baptist, how he calls the people of Israel to repentance. He calls them back to the beginning of what it means to be Israel, back to the Jordan River. And then look to Mary. The archangel Gabriel proclaims to her, this is what's going to happen. Look at her obedience. Look at her interaction with Elizabeth, her cousin, and how Elizabeth proclaims, oh my gosh, why, how is it granted me that the mother of my Lord would come under my roof? And let that hope and that expectation build. And just let those scriptures permeate through your heart, mind, and soul. That's, that's my advice for 
the beginning of Advent. So uh, the word you just use, anticipation, is that a word that you focus on when you think about what is the the emotional sense of Advent? It's anticipation, yeah. and it's it's yeah, anticipation, absolutely. And what should what does Advent anticipate uh, emotionally? What do we we're looking forward? I think we talked about physically the return of Christ. We talked about theologically the incarnation. What is what is the emotion that you're going? We're anticipating, and then on Christmas, it's what? Hmm. I would say the joy of mystery. Hmm. Mystery meaning the incarnation is unfathomable. We we literally can't get our arms around it, and there's joy in that. There's a delight in God's proclamation through the angels to these lowly shepherds, and His proclamation to us through Holy Scripture, and there's a joy that that we can indeed be saved through Christ. And that's the emotion. It's just, it, even talking about it, it just bubbles up in me. And it's it's an exuberant joy that's both expressive and both very deep and, and abides in our souls. Man, that was wonderful and pastoral. I get an exuberant joy just from talking to you, Jay. So this is helping me right now. I'm recognizing how broken I, as a man, I am as a man, hearing you speak so eloquently about something so profound. So thank you, Jay. You are a good man. Thanks for being with us, and uh, thanks for talking with us today. Absolutely. What a delight to be with you, Adam. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for listening to Culture Matters. Today's episode was recorded and mixed by Chris Starrett, produced by David Rourke. If you like what you heard, you can please give us a great review wherever you listen to the podcast. Follow us on Instagram and support our patron page at patron.podbean.com slash culture matters. Thank you. God bless and have a great Advent.